Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, everyone. Thank you for joining me for yet another session. My name is Danny Ben-Or, uh, and I hold this uh, weekly sessions about real estate investing um, week, on a weekly basis, usually on a Friday. This uh, session is being streamed in multiple channels, live and available for recording. So you can consume this one here on our uh, Facebook group, here on the live YouTube channel. Uh, it's going to be as a video thereafter when we're done and also on our podcast. Our podcast uh, is Real Estate Investing uh, by Simply Do It. So you can look it up on uh, anywhere. It shows very uh, quickly or very well on different on the different uh, podcast search engines and and such. Um, uh, just a quick uh, kind of introduction. If you are, we have never had a chance to to meet and speak. Um, I am a real estate investor. I have been investing in U.S. real estate or what we call out of state investing um, since two thousand and two. I've never owned close to my. Uh, I never invested close to my to where I live. I am now in Southern California. Orange County. I used to live in the Bay Area for about uh, 10 years or so. And I started investing back in 2002 when I lived in Tel Aviv, Israel. Over uh, since 2004, uh, when I moved to the States, over the years, I have um, invested heavily myself, rentals, flips, mainly rental properties. And I'm going to talk about this today. Uh, I've done some flips as well. And most of my career or most of my bandwidth goes to not just being investing for my own portfolio, but helping others to invest. So we go and we help um, individuals such as yourself to buy rental properties in different parts of the country. From my experience, what I've learned over the years is that investors who come to us usually come from areas that are a little bit more expensive and they understand how real estate can benefit them financially but they live in an area that the real estate is so expensive, it needs either a lot of cash or their rent is really low relatively to the purchase price. And when they understand that real estate is a great financial vehicle, the next minute after the, the next thing, after realizing local is going to be tough and hard to do, is they go and start looking or considering out of state. And that's where tons of questions start lining up. Where should I go? Who can I trust? Where should I buy? What should I buy? How do I look at property? How do I analyze financially? How do I evaluate quality, etc.? Mortgage, yes, no. What can I do? Who will manage it? How can all of those things, you know, start piling up all those questions and concerns? And that's where we really step in uh, and help investors. What we do day in, day out, we line up good metros we have a very clear uh, um, formula how to identify a metro within a metro where to go which areas line up good teams we vet them carefully realtors property managers etc lenders etc and we create this platform this like a train kind of a platform not a technological platform anybody can kind of step on and say i'm ready um i'm ready to uh, um to invest in real estate and I am looking, I'm just looking for the guidance, someone that will watch my back, someone I can bounce ideas, someone I can, you know, knows that, have, that has my best interest. 
uh, someone that has the teams, the systems, the processes, etc., to walk me through this path of owning one or multiple rental properties in out of, you know, out of state. And that's what we've, we've uh, been doing. I've done close to probably more than 4,500 such transactions over the years for the past almost 20 years, uh, about 4,500 transactions, give or take, and mainly buying nice rental properties in good areas, in good metros, in growing metros, good schools, and so on and so forth. Mostly we buy or our clients buy those uh, properties with, uh, with mortgages, with mortgages. Um, so that's what we do day in, day out, and we can help you do that as well. If you're interested in learning more, you can listen to all the recordings that we have on the podcast, on YouTube, on Facebook. You are most welcome to get in touch with me. We can set up a time to speak. No string attached, no sales pitch. I know when we, we speak, when I meet with investors one-on-one in a more intimate way in terms of, uh, you know, just us, not a public forum, then we talk about the questions, the concerns, um, and so on and so forth. Just as a small story, yesterday I got a call from someone that I've known for many years. We lost touch, you know, more than 10 years ago. He calls out of nowhere, says, Danny, I, I sold my house in San Diego, my condo in San Diego, uh, end of August, and I'm doing a 1031 exchange. It's about a $400,000 you know, exchange, and the, to- and the clock is, is already ticking. We're not going to jump into... Um, what the 1031 exchange is, but I will tell you this. I told him because time is of an essence when you do a 1031 exchange. Once we start working together, within few hours, I have three agents, at least three, if not four agents, activated looking for relevant properties for him. And I am certain we can find the property, you know, the, the type of properties looking for within the time frame that he has with the 1031 exchange. Right now, he's a little bit lost, not sure where to go, what to do, how, where to buy, etc. He just knows how much money he has to spend in order to meet the 1031 exchange guidelines. We're not going to go into the 1031 exchange. Maybe that's a topic for another session. So this is something that we help investors do. Exchanges was one of them. We work with beginners, we work with experience. So you are most welcome to get in touch with me and we can set up a time to talk about your specific situation not mine yours if you want to get in touch with me email me facebook me tweet me it's all okay um the best email is meet at simplydoit.net meet like meeting m double e t meet at simplydoit.net and we'll get in touch with you and we'll kind of walk you through that process again i promise once we meet no sales pitch we're just going to talk and see if this is a good fit for you and for us. All right. I want to talk about today's topic, which is what I call the cash cow versus the cash cat. And what do I mean by that? I just uh, never heard the term cash cat, but I think you are all aware of what I mean when I say cash cat. Let's start with the cash cow. Obviously, as investors, we are very much lured or attracted to the properties that are generating the highest cash flow possible, right? Usually it looks like this. We buy a $50,000 property in, let's say, somewhere in the Midwest, and that property for $50,000 will probably be rented out for seven, eight, nine hundred dollars $900, give or take a few bucks. 
and no mortgage usually on those properties. And after expenses, we should be netting $500 a month, $400 a month. In my world of real estate and experience, that's considered a cash cow. It's a property that's generating a heavy, um, a heavy, uh, 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 a relatively heavy uh, cash flow. Um, you know, and maybe that even cash flow will even um, exceed over over time. Now, what is the cash cat? Cash cat is a property that will probably not generate such a high rent and such a heavy cash flow, right? Maybe it's going to be the cash flow is going to be half of it, maybe even a little bit half, you know, than half of it. But what is the real difference between the cash cow and the cash cat? Well, this is what usually it looks like, and I think a lot of investors do not always see, especially beginners, uh, what really they're buying when they're buying the cash cow. Again, it could be different on a case by case, but in general, generally speaking, a cash cow usually for fifty thousand dollar ish usually looks like this. It's an older home from maybe 1942, 900 square feet, maybe even a little bit smaller, in the not so best school district and part of town, maybe not all horrible, but not necessarily uh, the best one. And usually the tenants are financially challenged to pay the rent. And that property on paper has high rent on paper. But what we don't factor in is that when things settle in and we rent it out, you are most likely going to meet the following situation. You're going to probably have, have a lot of uh, vacancy. Maybe not, but most likely. And a lot of turnover, meaning tenants coming and staying for, you know, for leasing for a year, moving after four months or five months or after a year. So you're going to have a lot of turnover. Turnover generates Two, you know, three other, three, three factors, three things. One, there's a need for an update of the house, right? So there is a, maybe to paint it all over again, maybe to replace or cleaning or something like this. So there's a, there's a turnover cost. There's a vacancy aspect for it, okay? Um, so there's a vacancy factor, the, the turnover, and then, you know, and then you may end up paying, an, you know, for a leasing fee all over again. So all of a sudden, this $50,000 house, which looks on paper amazing, and a high rent, maybe even $900, in reality, you're actually seeing that real rent coming in is more like $800, maybe $750, right? Because its vacancy rate is much higher. And then your monthly expenses, which you may be factored as, hundred bucks a month or so, all of a sudden it's $150, $200 a month on average. So that also kind of puts something down. So all of a sudden this is an amazing, this cash cow is really like a small moo and not a cash cow. Um, if you add to that the fact that this is an older home, most likely when th something that breaks, that it's code related, will cost you more to repair. Let me give an example. By the way, I've been in that situation myself. I had a house uh, exactly following those uh, those uh, those uh, numbers, except it was even purchased, I think, for one of them for uh, thirty-six thousand. And that house, when I had to replace the uh, the water heater, 
the plumber came in and said, I have to bring it up to code. I can't just put, take one, put the, you know, buy the, take the new one, put it instead of the old one. I need to do it up to code. Up to code, I need to create the, the to elevate the, you know, the, the uh, like the, the to, uh, to elevate it from the floor. That's the new code, the straps and this and this. And da, 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 da. A six, $700 job turned out to be 1200 right? Because it, there was more, more to do. When I had to replace the roof, the roofer says, listen, this is an easy roof. This is a $3,000 roof. It's a small house. But because I have to do something related with the roof up to code, it's going to cost you more money. So all those things kind of start piling up. And all of a sudden, this cash cow was now not even doing a little move for me. So that's uh, turned out to be far from reality. Add to that... None of those cheaper properties that I've owned were able to hold the tenant more than six months at a time. So there was more turnover. And by the way, guess what? Any, every time there was a, a vacancy, it wasn't getting fulfilled within a month. It took three to four months every time. So this cash cow, and I got to tell you, before I purchased those properties, I knew about those things, but I, I just did all my analysis. Sorry, all my analysis and you know to make sure that I'm buying in the in a high demand area that I have the right property manager, which I did, I do. So it's a great guy. Uh, um, location was not horrible, but it's just those constant issues with those with those houses. And all of a sudden, I realized what the heck am I doing here? Like I am so the quality real estate right type of a person without all those issues. This is. This is taking my time, my energy, you know, my attention, you know, it bugs me. What about the return of the noise that we don't factor when we analyze properties, right? There's always going to be noise in the system, right? Even in a nice area, in a nice type of property, there's going to be noise, vacancies and repairs and a turnover and maybe eviction. Those things will happen regardless, right? The question is how much... Of those things, how much of those noise and drama are we going to meet in a different category segment of properties? And this is what I call the cash cat. So in the first example of the cash cat, we've used $50,000 cash to buy this crappy little rental, right? It's creating a lot of noise in our life. Now let's take this $50,000, use it as a down payment, get a mortgage, and buy this nice... 1995, you know, 12, I don't know, maybe 1,500 square foot home with a two-car garage in a B area of schools, in a nice community, bring the family with the kids and the dog to rent this family. This family is really, uh, um, you know, this family most, most likely have the ability to pay the rent. They have jobs, something more stable. This is what I call the cash cat. It's more of a stable investment because I'm buying a, a nicer home, a quality home, a nicer home in a you know in a in a in a good community, good schools. Good schools are always attracting people, right? There's always you know a demand for people to move to good schools. Doesn't have to be the A schools, but not the lower end schools. Um, and I'm attracting the type of family that will most likely not generate too much noise. And I'm at buying the house that's most likely not going to have a lot of issues, right? A 1995 house, 
Maybe the roof is, is already been replaced and maybe the end of his life. Okay. Water heater, probably up to code. Roof, up to code. Um, plumbing, up to code. Newer electrical. All of those things are kind of, you know, it doesn't have to be 1995. It could be 2010. That's okay too. Right? So all those things are already updated. It's a modern layout. It's a modern house. It looks nice. You know, it comes with a, with a garage. All of those things. So all of a sudden, I'm buying a higher quality area, a higher quality property, right? It's going to cost me more. I'm bringing the mortgage. I'm using the same amount, but I'm going to give up on something. I'm going to give up on the cash flow. I'm not going to give up on the cash flow completely, but I'm just going to compromise between potentially $500 a month down to maybe $250 or even $300 a month. Some of them even $350, but let's just say $250. So look at this situation. One $500 a month and one $250, right? Obviously, the, we like the one the $500, but when you kind of run the numbers in terms of noise in the system, that goes down a little bit. Maybe the cash flow is not $500, but more issues goes down a little bit, right? Um, long vacancies, issues, problems, up to code. Let's 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 give that that uh, those aspects a little bit of of uh, financial credit. Then, if we look at this house that only generating two fifty, realistically, right? Not everywhere, but realistically. And then this house of the two fifty now, you know, it appreciates better because those nice neighborhoods tend to appreciate in a higher rate than the lower end neighborhood. So it goes up a little bit. Rent will probably creep up over time. It will go up a little bit. So all of a sudden, the noise level here is not as much. So all of a sudden, I'm seeing that the, the cheap property with a great cash flow kind of gets discounted a little bit. And the nice property with the not so amazing cash flow gets a little bit, you know, you know uh, increase in value, right? So don't just look at the cash flow. Look at the total you know, the whole, you know, aspect of value of the investment and make the decision based on it. Now, I want to tell you, you know, um, I want to tell you one other thing. When we started with the coronavirus kind of broke into our, uh, you know, mainstream attention mid-March of 2020, we were nervous, right? We didn't know what's going to happen. Our the tenants are, see, when I say we, I mean the Simply Do It ecosystem. Simply, eco, uh, Simply Do It ecosystem usually buys buys nice properties in nice schools in nice areas, right? Let's say from one hundred and twenty-five thousand to two hundred fifty thousand, give or take. That's usually what we buy in, in the different metros around the country. Uh, nice schools, good schools. You know, the lowest public school we would go would be C. Usually, it's A and B. And we thought, okay, it's going to be catastrophic, right? Because everybody's going nuts. Comes April, I call all the property managers. What are you seeing in terms of rent collections? Nothing more than the usual, right? No issues more than the usual. Maybe a tiny bit, you know, a very small, uh, uh, more than usual. Okay, but we're all waiting for May. Comes May. Finishing with the rent collection period, I call the property managers. How are you seeing May happening? Same thing, right? How are you seeing uh, uh, more issues than usual? Not really, maybe just a little bit, but actually we're surprised. Let's wait for June. June, same thing. July, same thing. So basically, the formula of buying this cash cat type of a house, 
all of a sudden is going through, not all of a sudden, by the way, it's going through a stress test and it's holding. So far surviving, but most importantly, holding throughout. It doesn't mean we're going to, we, we're still in this craziness corona thing. So we don't know how things will evolve. But right now, six months in, we are still in good shape, right? We have very small number of issues that we can connect or, uh, to the corona uh, situation. We do. But such a small amount, it just shows me that all the decisions, you know, if, if I see my role as someone who mentors others, who kind of lay the tracks, I can tell you as a survivor of the 2008 crash, the real estate crash, everything or all the decisions or a lot of the decisions um, that we made over the years in, in regards to investing, the starting point or the core point of making the decisions that how do we make sure we should focus on focus on type of properties investment areas etc that will have greater chance of surviving or you know living through the, the you know the uh, uh, the next crash um, so I always had in my mind and this is more than 10 years now when we go to the next you know when we invest keep in mind, there's going to be a downturn. There's going to be a crash or something in you know in the future. Let's work. Let's you know let's make a working assumption as if that's happening. When I don't know. I never knew. Right? Who does? But let's prepare for that. And a lot of the decisions are coming from that starting point. And now I'm not surprised that we're surviving the stress test of this Corona you know uh, uh, virus situation. But I have to tell you. It's still really nice to see that we're surviving this. Some of my friends that did not follow this route and bought those cash cows are not saying, are singing a whole different tune. Just one of my best friends who actually does mostly what I'm talking about went on and bought a cheaper property. And he told me today, I need help with this property in Georgia because for six months, I'm not collecting rent, Right. So I don't have any single investor of ours in the ecosystem that has not been collecting rent for six months. Not a single one. So what I'm trying to say is, when you make a decision, by the way, you may get lucky. So the cash cow has a speculative aspect to it. You may go and buy that cash cow property for $50,000 and you're going to be lucky with the tenant and no repairs, and you're probably going to have a very different experience than I do, you know, with that property, than I did, and I'm familiar with, with that property, and good for you, and by the way, a lot of people do invest in those cash cows, and that's okay, you just need to know that you need the stomach for it, you need the, you know, the, the patience for it, you need to know what you are buying, right, you're buying, you're buying the, I don't know, f 2004 Taurus, or are you buying the, you know, the, uh, I don't know, the, uh, the, the, the Camry, uh, the 2010 Camry, or the, the 2015, uh, I don't know, Lexus something, right? That's the difference, right? One will be more of a, you know, noise and issues, and one most likely not, right? Most likely not. So just by designing it properly. So what I want to offer you is kind of think about it. 
and just know what you're getting into because so many times I read on forums and people are, you know, contact me and say, listen, I bought this house and, and oh my God, and this and this and this. And you know what happens? When you do it, when you do all of this remotely, the out of state concept, okay, and you're not investing in your own kind of backyard, all that noise, it's actually amplified, right? I always tell my property managers, you got to be more proactive and more responsive because when you send one of my clients, and this is with the nice properties, a message about the house, something's going on, they hear much worse than it. Let me give you an example that I always tell the property managers. When you tell the, the, the owner, there is a leak in the kitchen sink and we are sending someone over to fix it. And the house is in Nashville and the owner lives in Seattle. Seattle, Washington. By the time the message comes to the owner, the owner hears the owner doesn't hear a leak in the kitchen sink. The owner hears a flood. Why? Just the way we are wired. One reported a, a, a simple fi, a simple issue. One is hearing horrible situation. That's just the way it is, right? You, that's I've been doing it for such a long time, and it's such big numbers. I've just seen it many, many times. And the following thing happens. On the following day, when the owner calls the property managers to see or emails him to see if the issue was fixed and the property manager is not responding within three and a half minutes or answering the phone, the owner only results to two options. Only two options. At that point in time, one, the house is flooded and the property manager drowned. That's option number one, and I'm not joking. This is what usually happens, what people think. Not what happens, what goes in people's mind. Number two, if, if, he's, not, if he's not there drowning, the property manager ran away to Mexico with my money, right? My money being the $1,000 deposit we're talking about. The fact that there are tons of other options available do not exist in my world, right? The fact that he's in the house taking care of it. The fact there's another meeting with the kid with the doctor. Those things do not exist. The fact that he needs some time to respond to an email, giving 20 minutes, giving two hours, doesn't exist, right? So the reason I'm saying this, when you buy out of state those cheaper properties that will most likely, the cash cows, have more issues, every time an issue is reported to you by the property manager, you will always suspect that they're cheating you. You will always suspect that they're not telling you the, everything. You will always you know, be questioning them. And the result of that situation is that, okay, I need to replace a property manager because they are cheating me, right? The fact that this is true, the fact that this is happening, the fact has nothing. Common sense is gone. Is gone in that situation. So just be aware. Now, are the nicer houses do not have those issues? Of course they do. It's just a matter of the frequency, the cost, the issues with vacancies, the issues with you know re rental payments, the issues with repairs and bringing up to cost. Those things just are not present as much. Yes, you will have repairs when you own those nicer homes. It will happen. You will have vacancy. You will have you know, miscommunication with the property managers. You will even have evictions every once in a while. They're not common, but they do happen. right? So it's not completely eliminating them. We are not talking about eliminating noise. We are talking about the re noise reduction or what kind of noise level to expect. 
a lot of noise from those cash cows and noise reduction, much less noise from those nice properties. I am done with what I wanted to cover today. I'm going to wait here for a second and see if there are any questions coming through any of the uh, any of the uh, um, the channels. Um, I want to say that uh, at this point, I want to say two things. One is that we launched recently a new academy website. It's called resmarts with an S. Resmarts.co. .co, not .com, .co, resmarts.co, and this is just us putting out there educational educational material, courses, all based on real-life experiences, a lot of knowledge, quality stuff, great stuff, a lot of values at good prices. So if you're looking to, you know, looking to expand your knowledge, your understanding of real estate investing, Go to resmarts.co and purchase any of those courses. I promise it's only quality stuff. I don't, you know, it's all me. And I tend to not, I don't, I, when I put something out, I put all my time and energy um, into it. I always think, how can I make sure anybody who purchases this gets the maximum value out of it? So that's something that you, know, you want to be aware. We also recently launched a website to help in, uh, owners, investors sell their occupied rented houses. So you, if you have a rented house you wanna sell and you're looking for a platform to help you sell it because most people will tell you it's impossible or hard or difficult to sell an occupied house with a renter, go to kavadu.com, kavadu.com. Kavadu, it's K-A-V-A-D-O-O.com and you can list your house for free to sell um, on Kavadu.com. Uh, it's most especially geared towards those who are looking to sell rental properties, even better, occupied, rented rental properties. With that said, I want to say thank you very much for taking the time or, you know, and listening today. Send me your comments, send me your questions once in a while. Uh, not once in a while, every week someone else says, hey, Danny, I watch your podcast, I watch your video, I listen to the podcast, thank you. So your feedback is really appreciated in terms of just, you know, kudos or in terms of just follow-up questions. With that said, thank you for taking the time. Have a terrific rest of your day. Have a great weekend. See you next week. Bye-bye, everyone. I wanted to do this episode for a very long time. I mean, maybe years that it's been going in my mind. And I finally got around to do it. I always wondered why someone will buy a $50,000 crappy house in a not so best part of town when that person can buy with the same amount of money plus the mortgage, a nice house in the best, in a better part of town, a newer house, a much better quality type of an investment. Now I know some people say, listen, I can get a mortgage. I don't have enough money. That's fine. I, I get it. Th those are, that's acceptable answers, obviously. Uh, 
But I always wonder why the person who has the ability to go and buy this $150,000 house or $175,000 home with a mortgage, of course, would prefer to buy a crappy house versus a nice house in the middle class area. I hope this episode will help you kind of think about it more in a better way before making a decision which way to go. Because I could definitely understand the lure of the cash cow, but I think the lure of the cash cow tells us a narrow part of the entire investment or deal. Enjoy the episode.